Well, again, good morning. Uh, always great to be here with you. For those of you who are, are new with us today, um, I'll only say again, welcome. Uh, thank you. Thank you for choosing to, to be here with us. Um, we're so glad that you're, that you're here. Uh, well, today, uh, we're actually beginning a brand new sermon series called Authentic Worship. Um, authentic Worship. Um, and if you've been in our gathering uh, for, for any amount of time, even like two weeks, um, especially if you've gone through our membership class called FBC 101, um, that term, authentic worship, it should be uh, really familiar to you. Um, in fact, uh, that phrase is actually on our wall here, on a pattern, just to my right, just up there, authentic worship. And the reason for that, the reason for that is because um, our desire here at Freedom Village is that we would be a people, that we would be a church that, that's full of people who are true worshipers uh, of the living God, uh, of people who are uh, genuine, who are authentic in their praise, uh, of people who lift high the name of Jesus, who proclaim the goodness uh, of his grace and his mercy a people who worship the Lord with the totality of who they are, a people who are free to, to sing really loud, to lift their hands, to kneel perhaps, a people who make joyful noises to the Lord out of the overflow of their understanding of the gospel. You see, when you know Jesus, when you understand who he is and what he has done, it will and it should cause you to worship, to sincerely worship, to praise him. And some of you might be thinking, like, why this topic now? Uh, Because uh, we're actually, again, if you've been here, you know, we're actually taking a a break. We're taking a pause um, from our Esther sermon series to to talk about this. And so some of you are disappointed (laughs) about that. Hopefully not for long. But let me me tell you why. Let me tell you why we're, we're taking a break, taking a pause. Um, it's because, um, just honestly, me being sincere, um, I actually think that this, this topic for us is urgent. Um, I've actually been really burdened by this. Um, I truly believe that God wants more of us when it comes to worship and praise. Um, just as your pastor, um, I would say that there are a lot of things Um, that are going really well and that we're doing really well as a church body, as a church family. And if you gave me time, we would sit down and I would brag on this church all day long. Okay, I would do that. And that would be bragging on you. Uh, But quite honestly, uh, I believe that one of the greatest areas um, that we can improve is learning to be true, genuine worshipers. Uh, to be people who more desperately go to the Lord out of the depths of their being with heartfelt praise. And so for the next few weeks, what I want to do is dig into God's word and ask that God would build up within us a desire to know him more intimately so that we would worship him more passionately, that we would know and truly understand That worship isn't something we just come to a Sunday 11 o'clock service to do. Worship isn't something you do. 
but worshipers are who we are. So that's where we're headed together over the next few weeks. On this journey to become a church that embodies authentic worship, I want people who are new uh, to walk into this place. I want people who have been following Jesus a long time in our city, part of other churches, if they were to walk in this place, I want them to say, wow, those people worship and praise the Lord. That's my heart's desire for us. So I want to open up God's word with you. Uh, but before I do, uh, we need Lord, the God, God's help here. We do. All right. And so let me pray for us and for this sermon series. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you We thank you for who you are. Uh, we thank you for your grace, uh, your mercy that you bestow on us each and every day. Uh, God, we need your help. Um, I need your help uh, to work through this topic through your word. Help us to become people who desire to worship you with all that we are and all that we have. That's your heart's desire for your church, for your bride. Let it be so in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, um, I hope that you do. Uh, Turn with me to Psalm 150. Psalm 150. This is the final psalm in this book. Uh, And I'll tell you the bottom line right away of this psalm. The bottom line of this psalm is simple. The writer, the psalmist, wants us to know that we were made to worship. You were made to worship. And so the whole focus of this psalm is on giving God praise. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 1. He tells us there that we were created for and redeemed for. Listen, we were created for and redeemed for the praise of his glory. Or to use a a famous statement that's been used throughout church history, our chief end as mankind, our chief end, our goal is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is what Psalm 150 is expressing that we were made to glorify God, to worship him, to praise him, and to enjoy him forever. And so look with me at how this psalm starts. It says this, praise the Lord. If you have a copy of God's word, look to the bottom of the psalm. It's verse 6. Look at how it ends. What does it say? Praise the Lord. And so the psalm begins with the phrase and ends with the phrase, praise the Lord. And just so we're on the same page, entering into this teaching series together, what is praise? What is it? Well, the English word praise, very much like the English word worship, they're connected, means to assign something or declare something as having worth. So when we gather together to worship and praise God, we are ascribing worth to him. The Psalms actually even use this language specifically. It says things like, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Or it says, ascribe to the Lord the the glory that is due to his name. 
And perhaps um, this will help us have a greater understanding of this. But the word praise, especially in English, is actually related to the word appraise. Okay, appraise. And so picture this. When you, uh, if you've ever done this, some of you have, many of us haven't, but when you get an appraisal of your house or your apartment, or let's say we wanted to get this building, this church building appraised, what we would do is you would bring an appraiser into that apartment, into that house, and and you're really hoping that that individual is going to give you a really high estimate for what that place is worth. Right? You want them to look at your home. Right? Look at all the walls, how many bathrooms, how many bedrooms. Does your kitchen have stainless steel, marble countertops, like hardwood floors? No, they're linoleum, you know, whatever. Go through it and, and, and give your home, appraise it as having high worth, high value, so then you can put it on the market and sell it, right? So listen, praise, praising God, or we praise God, we praise him, Because we have appraised him. We've looked at him, seen him, assessed him, we've experienced him, and in that we have found him to be supremely valuable. I'll say it this way then. Worship is about what you value most. It's about what you treasure most. It's about what you have found to be most significant, ultimately significant, or to give you something to put on your Instagram later today. Whatever is worth most to you, you worship. Whatever is worth most to you, you worship. So now we have this basis, this foundation, this definition of praise, this definition of worship, And what I'd like to do now is work through this psalm. We're going to go through it verse by verse. And what I want to do, my hope here today, is to give you a picture of praise. And there are four sides to a picture, typically. And so there's going to be four sides to this picture of praise. Four questions that this psalm answers. We're going to see that it answers the who, who do we worship. It answers the where, where do we worship. It answers the why, why do we worship, and it also answers the how, how do we worship. And so that's where we're headed this morning as we tackle Psalm 150. So first, um, let's talk about the most obvious, okay, the one that needs to be stated. We have to go through this, but it's pretty easy. Who do we praise? Who do we praise? And of course, you know the answer. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. The Psalm says, again, praise who? The Lord. And then if you look through the psalm, what do you see? It says right after that, praise God. And then praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him, on and on, right? And so there is no question from this psalm and from the scriptures who our worship is to be directed to. It's the Lord. You see, God, he wants our praise exclusively. We are called to praise God without any rival, without any competition, solely, singularly, we praise him and him alone. Uh, Perhaps you remember, uh, if you've been in church setting uh, any amount of time, you remember God gives these things called the Ten Commandments. 
It's a sort of a, an order, a set of rules to how to follow him best and to flourish in life. He tells the people, he says, don't bow down to anyone else. And then he tells them why. He says this, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. That's what he says. Perhaps that seems odd to you. God is jealous, right? It seems strange, but it makes total sense if you just stop for a second to think about it. Um, if you're married here in this place, maybe watching online, you're in a serious relationship, you know you don't want to share your significant other with anyone else, right? At least I hope not. You likely get jealous, right? Just at the thought of that, right? I could go down a trail, I won't, all right? But there's just no way that that would be acceptable to you, not if you're in your right mind. And so, and so it is with God. The Bible tells us that we, as the church, are the bride of Christ. And as the bride of Christ, he, Jesus, is out to get our total admiration, our complete adoration. He wants our absolute devotion. And he deserves it, by the way. But he, he wants, he desires our total praise. And so whether it's angels or the apostles or uh, saints or preachers, no one or no thing deserves or should receive even a single ounce of your worship, a single ounce of your praise. He and he alone is the one to whom our praise is to be directed to. And this is such an ongoing theme in Scripture. You see it all over the place. For example, in Isaiah 42, verse 8, God says this, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. And look at it. Nor will I share my praise. Or what about the first commandment? We've already talked about the Ten Commandments briefly. What about the first commandment? God says, I am the Lord your God, who delivered you out of the land of Egypt. He says, I delivered you out of the house of bondage. And so, because of that, he says, you shall have no other gods besides me. And so, just in one command, God is saying this. He's saying, this is who I am to you. This is what I've done for you. And this is what I want from you. This is who I am to you. I am the Lord, your God. This is what I've done for you. I've delivered you out of bondage. I've set you free. And so this is what I want from you. You will have no other gods besides me. God wants and deserves your exclusive praise. He wants it all and he deserves it all. And so that's the first part of the frame, the who question. And who gets it again? God gets it. And God alone. Our second question today that we'll answer is the where. Where do we praise? So we know who we praise. We praise the Lord. We praise God exclusively. Where do we praise him? Look at it again at verse 1. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. So the psalmist mentions two places here. See them here. Praise God in his sanctuary. It's first. And then second, praise God in his mighty heavens. And so 
what is he referring to here? What is he talking about? Well, in regards to the sanctuary, uh, at least in their context, Old Testament Jewish context, this is talking about the temple in Jerusalem, right? That's his context. The place where God manifested his presence with his people. It was a place, the temple, it was a place of feasting, of sacrifice, of festivals. It was the physical place on earth, the house, if you will, where people gathered together to worship. And then notice what else he says. He says, praise him in his mighty heavens. Another translation says, in the expanse of the heavens. So he's literally saying to us here, simplified version, praise God on earth and praise God in heaven. It's sort of a a way, a poetic way of saying, praise him everywhere. It's as if he's summoning all of the humans on earth and all of the angels in heaven to join corporately together in this singular anthem of praise. In Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we know that John, the Apostle John, receives this little picture, this glimpse of heaven. And there, listen to what he sees. We don't have it on the screen, but you just can listen. He says this in chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. He says this, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, the throne of the Lord, And the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads, that's millions and millions, thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice all together, worthy is the lamb who is slain. So there's this this massive, largest gathering you've ever seen, you could ever be a part of. Like that would be number one biggest church in the world every year. That's it. So there's this massive gathering in heaven, and they are doing what? They are worshiping God. They've declared him to be worthy. And what else? Verse 13, he says, And I heard, listen, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessed, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So this is the picture of Psalm 150 coming to fruition. Psalm 150 coming to life. God being praised on earth and in heaven. And so this is what should be occurring right now on earth as it is in heaven, right? Because this is what will be for all of eternity. The Lord will be, it's not a question if if he will, it's just we're waiting on that. He will be praised all the time, everywhere, by everyone. Everywhere. So it should be now, here on earth as it is in heaven. Everywhere. We praise him everywhere. Moving along, the third side of our frame, number three, uh, why do we worship? Okay, or why do we praise? We praise the Lord, the Lord alone. We praise him everywhere. Now why? We see this question answered in verse two. Look at the psalm again. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. So we see two primary reasons are given here. 
two again as to why we praise the Lord. You see that there? Essentially what this is saying, again, simplified version for us, we praise him for what he does and we praise him for who he is no matter what he does. I'll say that again. We praise God for what he does and we also praise God for who he is no matter what he does. So let's break that down just a little bit. It says, praise him for his mighty deeds or that's his acts his works. Praise him for his works. And what has the Lord done? Well, a lot, right? A lot. But I believe the author has two primary deeds, two primary acts in mind here. First, pretty big act, the act of creation. Pretty big deal, don't you think? God made everything. So listen, when we see the intricacies of God's creation, when we look around and observe what he has done, it should lead us to be amazed and to praise the Lord for his ingenuity or his creativity. Um, I was thinking about this this week, especially as the weather has gotten better, right? Uh, some of you, um, every single time there is a cloud in the sky, you stop and you are amazed. And some of you even go beyond that. You take a picture of it and you share it on Facebook and Instagram for me to see. Some of you literally, like every single time you see a cloud, you do that. You post, you know who you are and you know I know who you are. And there was honestly a time, again, trying to be as real as I can. There was honestly a time it bothered me. Like, it's a nice day. I know the sun is setting. I can look out my window and then I go to like Instagram, which why am I there anyway? But of course we all are. In my newsfeed, it's like 12 posts in a row. It's like sunset, sunset, sunset. And they don't even look as good as what it really looks like. Doesn't matter how many filters you use, but it's full, right? So what it happened, it bothered me. I'd be like, ah, oh, like bitter about it. But then I remind myself, you're the one looking. Why, you know? <laughs> Another cloud, you know, not another cloud. But then it hit me. It hit me. Stopping at the clouds, just one example, looking in awe and in wonder and amazement at a cloud is precisely how God intended creation. That, that's the kind of response, actually, that God wants as we observe the wonders that he has made. I should look and say, wow, praise the Lord. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So as we look upward, and around us at what the Lord has done, what he has made, we should say, praise the Lord. But not only that, when we look inward at ourselves, when I see myself, that should also see you. That should amaze us, amaze me as well. Because here we are. Think of this. God has formed us 
The Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully designed, made. I mean, have you ever, when's the last time you ever just stopped to think about how intricate and detailed you are? The hairs on your head, these eyes that can just, it's a miracle that they can observe and see. This like object on my face with two holes, like I can smell. Isn't it? It's crazy. A mouth that can taste. I mean, people, people devote their entire lives. They spend their entire lives trying to understand not just the body, but the single cell in your body. And by the way, the average person has 30 trillion cells inside of them. 30 trillion. Do you know how, that's, that's a lot of zeros. That's a three and 13 zeros. I, just for fun, do you know how long it would take? It would take you to count every single cell that exists in your body. You can look this up yourself. Roughly 950,000 years. Start it. Let's go. One, two, right? 950,000 years just to take any one of you and count every cell in your body. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so when I try to wrap my mind around God's act in creation, it should and always causes one response, praise. And here's what's amazing. That, isn't, that work isn't even God's greatest deed. Because that would be redemption. For the Old Testament Jews... Redemption, this was seen in the reality that God delivered his people out of slavery, out of bondage, that he called him his own, that he made him his people, that he brought them into freedom. They praised him because he saved them, he rescued them, and he redeemed them, something that they could not do on their own. And of course, we now, this side of the cross, we understand this in light of what Jesus has done for us, right? We praise God because of the truth that Jesus has set us free from the bondage of sin, rescued us from eternal separation from him by going to the cross in our place. And he did that to call us his own, to make us his people, So that now, like the Jews coming out of Egypt can say, we are truly free. So many mighty acts from our God, our great God. Creation, redemption, preservation, provision, everything in between, all of it. We praise God for what he has done. But then we also praise him for who he is, for his inherent worth. We praise him because he is all-powerful, in other words, because he is ever-present with us, because he is all-knowing, all-loving. It's praising him because we understand that he is so, so good, and yet we cannot fully grasp the magnitude, the measure of his goodness. I think this is important because sometimes in our lives, you know, it's really hard, isn't it, to think about what he's doing or what he's done. 
especially if you observe your own life. Life is painful, right? You're going through a trial. You're feeling overwhelmed, like you're sinking, right? Bad things have happened to you. Bad things are happening to you. And so it can be a real, genuine challenge to praise him for all that he's doing in and around your life. But in those times, I believe that's when you turn to the ultimate reason for why you praise him. Again, that being just because of who he is, regardless of what he does. No matter how I feel, no matter what I'm going through, I praise him because, again, I have already determined, I've appraised him, I found him to be above all things, over all things, and in all things. I found him, I've discovered and experienced him to be worthy of my total praise. Listen, if you truly know the Lord today, it will cause you to praise him. There's no doubt about it. If you truly know him, if you're truly experiencing him. So we have these three sides of this picture of praise. The who, again, it's God. The where, it's everywhere, heaven and earth, everywhere in between. And now the why, because of what he does, because of who he is. And now the last side of the frame, the how. Number four, how do we praise? How do we praise? Look at verses three through five. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud, clashing cymbals. And so just a quick side note. This tells us to praise him with loud music, by the way, twice. And so when we turn up the volume here, don't be offended. It's biblical. It's biblical. (laughs) There are three verses here, eight instruments. Three verses, eight instruments. And I'm not going to go through all the instruments and say, say how they were made and what they sounded like. A lot of these instruments are lost in history, lost in antiquity anyway, so we don't know. But what I do need to say here uh, is that it's both, it's both interesting, but more so significant that the psalmist chooses these specific instruments, these eight instruments. Be easy to pass this by and, and miss this point. See, we know that many of the instruments on this list, in this list, were actually not primarily used as part of worship in the temple. At least not traditionally. They might have been brought in on special occasions, but not traditionally. They weren't temple worship instruments. Not all of them. So for example, in verse 4, it says, praise him with tambourine and dance. Tambourine, not typical in the temple. But where do we see that in the Old Testament primarily? Well, it was at the Red Sea, where Miriam and the women lead the people of God in worship there. Tambourine and the people are dancing, all of them. Okay? Or praising with trumpets, praising God with trumpets. Trumpets were used where? When? Typically, they were used for military acts. And so before you're going into battle, you know, you're blowing the trumpet. 
but primarily in victory. After a battle is won, you would play the trumpet as a celebration, as a cry of joy. We've won, we're victorious. Or the lute and the harp, we see that they were most typically instruments used in a wedding celebration. So what is the psalmist doing here? Why? Why these different instruments? Well, I think what he was doing was giving us examples of various occasions and seasons of joy and celebration in the life of his people to remind us that we are meant to give the whole of ourselves. Every area of our life, everything that's celebratory, all of our praise, it's for him. The whole of ourselves. And so how do we express worship? It's simple, with everything. We'll go into this in much greater depths next week. But listen, this is how worship, how singing, how playing instruments is supposed to work within Christian worship. Praise is not meant to be done passively. Some of you need to hear this. Praise and worship is not meant to be done passively. So what I mean by that is you cannot, maybe it's better, not, better for me to say should not. If you want to debate this over coffee with me later, we can. Should not, I don't understand how you could, stand there with your arms folded, looking uninterested, bored even, mumbling to yourself some words that are up on a screen. Not, not if you truly know God. Not if you know what he desires and what he's looking for in his worshipers. And not if you know that those words that are written up on that screen are true. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Right? Oh, praise the name of the Lord God. Lunch? yet? Yeah. Sermon time? Ha. No, no. Praise cannot, should not be done passively, but with intentionality, with fervor, with zeal, passion, with desire. The Bible says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. It says, shout to the Lord, shout. You know the Greek, the Hebrew, it's shout, loud. Worship him with gladness. Come before him with joy. Know that he is good, that he has made us, that we are his. Praise the Lord. So we worship God with the whole of ourselves. We're to praise him with with all that we are, with all that we have, because again, he is worthy of it all. He is worthy to have all of me. And I think that's something of what the psalmist is saying here, that you need to praise God with everything you have because everything you have comes from the Lord. The whole of yourself comes from God. So praise the Lord with the whole of yourself. Then we get to the final verse in this psalm, final verse in all of the psalms. It's not a coincidence. Psalm 150, verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And if you didn't hear it, 
praise the Lord. Bottom line here, the psalmist wants everyone and everything. He's saying every animate being in this world, anything that has life, everything that has breath, he wants them to praise. And did you know, by the way, that's actually the goal of all creation. Did you know that? The goal of all creation is this, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is our singular purpose. You need to know that. That's why you're here today. Not just in this space, sitting on a seat or in your living room or whatever, cafe watching this. That's why you're on earth. That's why you exist. We were born physically, created by God. And then, for those who trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we were born again spiritually. Why? Well, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. In order that we might, what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Proclaim his excellencies. Peter says that we are here, that we were born and we were redeemed to proclaim the excellencies of God. In other words, we exist to worship. The end for which God created the world is worship. And so, is worship and praise like the, the privilege of a select elite group? Right? Is it only for spiritual leaders? Is it only for the worship team? Like those who try out for the, the praise band? Only they can properly and should properly worship God. No, all of creation, everything that has breath is responsible to worship and has the indescribable privilege of making known the greatness of the glory of God. Psalm 98 says this, let the sea roar all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. Everything. Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love towards us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Why? Why? Because we exist to worship. Because you were made to praise. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Well, as we close this morning, I just want to leave you with a couple questions to to think about. And and I hope what this does um, is help you to evaluate your your, your life and and see how God-centered, or let's say how praise-centered your life is. And so the first question, there's just two. The first question is this. It's the question of your thoughts. This is simple. What do you think about? Simple. And you might say, sitting there, and you're like, huh, that's a little broad. I think about a lot of things. But no, like, what do you, what do you think about when all of the activity of the day is done? When you settle down, when you are alone with your thoughts, 
What is your mind? What do your thoughts gravitate to? Now, I understand life can have ups and downs. And you can think about a lot of different things. There can be heartaches and trouble and relational issues and financial issues. But for the most part in your life, when your mind settles, what do you think about? You know, it's like a, it's like a compass. You can take a compass, you take it out, walk around with it, you can point it in a lot of different directions, right? You could do this. But when you set it down on a desk or a table, that needle will always point to north. Always. So sure, your minds might be all over the place during the day. But once it sets... Once it sits down and settles, where does it go? Where does it point to? Who does it point to? Does it ever go to God? Do you ever just sit there and and settle and say, oh, praise God. Praise the Lord. Does that ever happen for you? Think about the question of your thoughts. And then second, the question of your motives. What I mean by that is, why do you do what you do? Why do you say what you say? Why do you text what you text and post what you post on social media? Ask yourself, are any of the motives of any of those things having to do with trying to impress people? Or to get people to like you? To make a name for yourself? Or is it more important for you to have God's approval? And listen, that's a really hard thing to answer, I understand. But it was the Apostle Paul himself who said in 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, so we speak, so we speak. Not to please men, but to please God, who tests our hearts. So everything I do is about pleasing the Lord. So why do you do what you do? Why do you live the way that you live? Because here's the thing. People of praise, they live, they speak, they eat, they drink, everything, all to the glory of God. For that person, for a person of praise, their life, it's all about worshiping him. And hear me, everyone worships. Everyone. We all worship It's just that most people are are worshiping the wrong thing in the wrong way. But we all worship. And so today, what do you value most? What have you appraised to be most valuable in your life? Is it a relationship? A dream? A, A status? A job? your family. Let me encourage you today. Follow the trail of your time, of your affection, of your energy, of your thoughts. Follow that trail. And at the end, you will find the throne of what you worship. The bottom line today is simple. 
We were made to worship. And whatever is worth most to you, you worship. So let's be a people who worship the Lord and him alone. Let's, let's praise him all the time, everywhere. Let's, let's be a people who, who worship him because of, not just because of what he has done and what he's doing, what he promises to do, but let's worship him, worship him simply because of who he is. And let's praise him with everything that we are and all that we have because he has made us and he has given us all that we have. Amen? I'll ask the praise team to come back up.